Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now in this series of messages, encouraging words for discouraging days, we've actually used this text already. I want to revisit it and look at it at a little bit more length. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim the fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend? And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house, and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. Now, behold the children of Ammon, and Moab, and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldst not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them, and destroyed them not, Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Now, two interesting things. Well, one is just a statement that I've already used these verses before, just a few weeks ago. The second is, it came to me a few days ago in prayer, meditation. What do we do, Lord? And there have been many, many periods in my life, very frequently, where I really don't know what to do. So I came up with this title, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. I thought it was original. Then I found out when I was doing some research, others have had the exact same title with the exact same scripture verses and reference. Found that interesting. I just want you to know, just in case you do some research, I didn't get it from them. I don't go online and take somebody else's message. Never. Never have. I never will. I don't do that. I just found it interesting that there was a couple of other sermons, but with the exact same title, from the exact same passage of Scripture, and perhaps because of what Jehoshaphat says here. And may just make it uh, more colloquial. We don't know what to do. We're outnumbered. We have enemies on every side. These are people that you said don't destroy them. Now they're coming to destroy us. And we don't know what to do. And it occurred to me on reflection that leaders throughout the ages 
are often put into a position, whether they be generals, commanding armies, leaders in government, political figures, are often put into a position where they really don't know what to do. This is in the nature of man because we're limited in our knowledge, limited in our individual resources, intellect, and whatever else we may need. And sometimes the resources are just not there. You don't know what to do. And I find that we often look to people who are in positions of authority or they're in an area of expertise and they don't always acknowledge it. Very rarely do they acknowledge it. But they really don't know what to do. It could be a medical condition, economic condition, civil unrest, and so on. And here we have this great king, Jehoshaphat, certainly one of the good and godly kings of Judah, which were very few, by the way, both in Israel and in Judah. And he's outnumbered, and God's people are outnumbered. And he says it publicly. We don't know what to do. And again, most people in their area of expertise or their area of leadership would rarely admit publicly they don't know what to do. But I am telling you, over the years, as both pastor, father, husband, and particularly in discussions with my wife when we would discuss a problem, and I didn't know precisely what to do. So this message here is entitled, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. Now, every Wednesday night, I go through these statistics with you, and I'm going through them again this morning because they have relevance to the message. Jehoshaphat says, we're outnumbered, and we don't know what to do. Because the math, you know, if you look at his situation, takes so many in the armies of Judah, people of Judah, and so many in the camp of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and a few others that were with them, And the math just doesn't work out in favor of Judah. They're outnumbered. And mathematically and otherwise, common sense would tell you, we're going to lose. We're going to die. But if you read the Old Testament in particular, and then scour through history in general, you'll find out there's many, many situations, and the American Revolution is one of them, where people, just in general, then specifically the people of God, should not have won, but they won. They beat all the odds. This is the repeated history, let me say, of God in dealing with his people. And I have always believed that in many cases he allows the odds to go against us so that at the end of it we don't have any confidence in ourselves, but rather our confidence, as the Apostle Paul said, our confidence is in God. Anyway, I go over these statistics on the COVID-19 situation. Let's call it a crisis. And as of October the 9th, which would be three days ago, These are the statistics. The population of the United States, three days ago, 331,505,144 people. And that's on a statistical calendar that I use, a website that I go to. You can see the meter constantly running on many, many topics, constantly calculating however they do it. From the CDC, we learn that the mortality rate or the amount of deaths from COVID-19 So far this year is 210,232 people. And when we do the math, we find out that the death rate or the mortality rate is 0.0634%, which is relatively low. In fact, it's more than relatively low. It's low. That means that if you were to contract elderly people with conditions, elderly people in general, and a few others in the population that you could figure out on your own who they would be, Being exceptions to this, it means that if you were to contract COVID-19 or the coronavirus, that your chances of survival are really, really good, even without God. Even though God rules everything, 
even without God. And why all the hysteria? There's a writer who worked for the New York Times for over 10 years, Alex Berenson, and he's been writing and tracking this COVID-19 crisis. And he wrote this just a few months ago. Quote, hundreds of millions of children worldwide have been denied the chance to learn and play at school. Anxiety and depression are soaring. Now, I already know that children are being denied the chance to learn in person. But I can tell you with total assurance, the anxiety and depression of the American population, not to mention the population worldwide, is soaring. Suicide hotline is up 600%. Cases of anxiety, depression, spousal abuse, alcoholism, suicide, drug addiction, or overdoses from drug fatalities going through the roof. And why? Berenson puts forth his opinion. Anxiety and depression are soaring on social media. People proudly and publicly self-report that they have not gone outside for months. He goes on to write, The lockdowns have punished all of us enormously, except technology and social media companies, which are reporting record profits, which might not matter if we had compelling evidence that they, and he means the lockdowns, that they worked. Only we don't. He went on to write, lockdowns have failed as badly as the experts warned us they would for precisely the reasons those experts spent their careers predicting. But the hysterics, those would be individuals, but the hysterics have learned nothing from the last four months. Now we're with seven months. Experience has shown that communities faced with epidemics or other adverse events respond best and with the least anxiety when the normal social functioning of the community is least disrupted. Now, one may judge Berenson's opinion as that of a reporter, being no expert in infectious diseases, epidemiology, diseases of the immune system. However, exactly one week ago today, 6,000 scientists signed a declaration These are experts in epidemiology, immunology, infectious diseases. And let me just say this as a parenthetical statement. It doesn't seem surprising that you probably didn't read this in our media, even though Newsweek magazine did report it, the BBC as well. Let me just read it to you. 6,000 scientists, this is the headline, 6,000 scientists sign anti-lockdown petition saying it's causing, listen, irreparable damage. When you use the word irreparable, that means after the damage is done, there's no repairing it. Thankfully, our view is higher with God and with Christ. But this is scientists saying, look at the damage you're doing from locking people in, which I told you this before, and I'll tell you again just to say it. I really object to the word lockdown. It was a term that was coined in the 60s, 1960s, when you shut down inmates in a, I want to say correction facility, a prison When you lock them down, you're locking everybody in a cage, an iron cage. So they can't get out. So I object to the word lockdown. I prefer the word quarantine or self-quarantine or voluntary quarantine. But we'll use the word that everybody's using, lockdown. Over 6,000 scientists sign anti-lockdown petition saying it's causing irreparable damage. Well, in what way? This petition, by the way, is called the Great Barrington Declaration, being the city in Massachusetts where they signed it a week ago today. And it was signed and has signatures, listen, from at least 2,826 medical and public health scientists, 3,794 medical practitioners, doctors, 
or maybe some others as well, and over 60,000 members of the general public. We don't listen much to the general public because what do they know? What do we know about being made to do this and made to do that? And I'm just throwing this in too. There's something for you as Americans to consider. Start to read the Bill of Rights. Now, if I say something, I'm just a pastor. And if Berenson says something, he's just a reporter. But these are coming from people. Listen, in fact, I'll give you their credentials and their names. Dr. Martin Koldorf, professor of medicine at Harvard University. Dr. Sunitra Gupta, a professor at Oxford University. These are some of the names on this petition signed a week ago today. Dr. J. Batakra, a professor at Stanford University Medical School. And if you're not familiar with the prestige of these schools, let me give it to you. In the world, the leading university on medical science is Oxford. I believe Cambridge is number two. Number three is Harvard, and number four is Stanford. We're not just talking about our country, America. We're talking about a world standard being signed by medical scientists in immunology, epidemiology, infectious diseases. That's their expertise. That's what they've spent their life studying and researching from Harvard, from Oxford, Stanford, and so on. And this is what they're saying. Quote, as infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists, we have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies and recommend an approach we call focused protection. And just very quickly, what does that mean? It means if you're elderly, protect the elderly. If you have a pre-existing condition, protect yourself. Let's protect them and a few others. But this is common sense. Common sense. That's what their proposal is. It's basically back to common sense, which is not common any longer. The petition says in its opening line, current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short and long-term public health. That will be primarily mental health. If Pastor Ray says it, what does he know? And if a reporter from the New York Times, a former reporter from the New York Times, says it, he's just a reporter. We're talking about hard facts here. Now finally, and I say finally, Scientists who had their doubts, maybe they had to do their research, are stepping up and saying, wait a second, this is worse than the disease. In Latin, there's an expression, agresquit medendo. The disease grows worse with the cure. And now, scientists, medical practitioners, I just read to you, Oxford, Harvard, Stanford University are saying, wait, this is doing so much damage to people. And you know what? Many of us here could already testify to that. I told you that in a recent medical exam, I mean, a follow-up with my primary care physician, I was asked these questions I've never been asked. Do you feel lonely? Well, I feel lonely a lot. So, yeah. Do you feel like doing any harm to yourself? No. No, I don't. But I know people that have. You'll notice on my daily broadcasts, I keep a very low profile, very slow speech. Why is that? Is because I know there's people watching on a daily basis, not everybody, but there are some. One in particular who wrote to me said that on the day that you gave the broadcast about suicide, I broke down in tears, crying, 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 and then she went on to say, and you know why. Because that day, and I said this, and I don't say this lightly, as you know, the Lord told me and God spoke to me. I do believe, I know that he speaks, but not near as much as some preachers would have you to believe. And I felt compelled to say, now listen, there's somebody out there right now. You know, obviously you've got a large population of people listening. There's going to be somebody thinking of suicide. 
But this person, this individual, that day was thinking about taking their life. And why? Because the stress that we are all under is becoming almost unbearable. Churches are not even nearly half full. Why? Fear has taken out many. Some have good cause not to be in public, and that's the people that all of us, common sense would tell us to say, stay home, be careful, watch yourself. But that's common sense. We don't need an epidemiologist to tell us that. We don't need an immunologist to tell us that. We don't need a doctor or a nurse to tell us that. If you're prone to certain things, stay clear of the public. Wash your hands, use the alcohol wipes and all that stuff. Universal precautions, which is really what these professors are advocating. Common sense, universal precautions. Not locking people in their homes. Mandating, in some cases, court ordering people. You leave and you're in big, big trouble. And I believe a part of this problem that is being caused by these policies is leading people not just to do harm to themselves, but to start to think about something we don't want to see, a civil war. I've been reading for a number of years about people, people who are ordinarily, at least in my opinion, rational people now saying there's only one way out now. We have to not only load our guns and wait for something to come to us, we've got to start to take it to the people. This is not good, and this is not something we should wish for. We need to pray that God will intervene in the third great awakening so that we don't see more bloodshed in our lifetime. Even though prophetically we know that we will, in music there's something known as working over stretchy time. Tempo is tempo, and you can speed it up a little bit and slow it down, which almost everybody does, and they call it stretchy time. It means it's not so much precise metronomically. And in life, I believe God works also over stretchy time. He can slow the program down or he can speed it up. And so much depends on us being wise enough to pray to God in an hour when we certainly need the intervention of God. And so we hear this statement coming from experts. And I'm telling you, in my line of work, I am an expert. And I have not dealt, at least in many, many years, with so many people writing to me of health concerns, regular health, physiological health, mental health concerns, of suicide, of depression. I'm getting prayer requests to pray for young people. One was a young teacher who, because she has to wear a mask all day long and teach first graders, began to have panic attacks. She had to go to the principal and explain that she don't know if she can go on much longer, had to be put on medication. People are soliciting pastors, at least I know this pastor, That's why I did the broadcast, by the way, the daily broadcast, exclusively on anxiety and depression, because the need is so great and has become greater with what we're reading from other experts who are now stepping out and speaking up before we have a great tragedy. You've all heard the poem, Footprints in the Sand. And it's a great little poem. But this one, you know, I I think I like it equally. I don't know who wrote it. It's anonymous. But you listen. And with this, keep this in mind. Now is the time for the professing Christian to put works with their faith. Well, I believe in Jesus. That's not enough. Prove it. I wrote to you in an email. At the times when we'll say this is an altar, you know, a place where we come and pray, when it ought to be filled with people. We're seeing just the opposite. People, I don't know what they're doing, quite frankly. But this is not the time to be doing nothing. This is the time to say, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ... A professing believer, it's time to put works and action and deeds to your declaration. Listen to this poem. It's pretty clever. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord 
but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prince appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused. It made me wait. You disobeyed. You would not grow. The walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired. I got fed up. And there I dropped you on your butt. <laughs> I don't know who wrote this, but I'd like to meet them. But this is very engaging, the last line of this. Because in life, there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb. When one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. I tell you, that is profound. And I just said something to you just off the cuff, but I'm saying this now in a measured way intellectually. I realize Pastor Ray will have to once again adopt an offensive, not to be offensive, an offensive measure. And let the chips fall where they may, but I can't sit back. I've been telling those of you who actually have heard me and listened to me from the beginning, there's something really, truly wrong with this situation with COVID-19. Not the virus. The whole thing. But I just sat back for quite a while, just watching and just giving you little statistics here. There's something to think about. And please keep in mind, my job is to comfort the afflicted. And also to afflict the comfortable. That's my job. My job is that you don't leave butt prints in the sand. But you realize it's time to take a stand and put some legs to your faith and do it. Do it. I realize for myself, Pastor Ray is going to once again have to be out there with all the others who are out there. And I don't want to go into detail of things that are going through my mind already. But you know what? I cannot sit on the wall of the kingdom of God, watching the enemy approach and take the land without blowing the trumpet in Zion and let the chips once again fall wherever they may. I've made a lot of enemies in my time. Maybe I've made a lot more friends, but whatever happens, happens. I don't want, I told this to my wife a few days ago, I will not have people's blood on my hands because I did not stand up and say, oh, watchman, what of the night? Where are we? It's time once again. Let me read this line one more time. Because in life there comes a time, and this is that time, when one must fight and one must climb, when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. I don't want any butt prints in my life. I don't know that there's been too many in the past, but I don't want any in the future at all. I want to be found standing like in Ephesians chapter 6. The shield of faith, the sword of God, the armor of Christ, and so on. And so having done all, I'm standing. Amen. And not have Christ say, you know what? I've tried to reach you so many times to do your job as a preacher and a teacher. Why do you think I anointed you? Why do you think I called you? What am I supposed to say? Well, I'm just I'm tired. Yeah, at this stage of life, I am tired. But that don't matter. Because there's something more important. I read this to you a few weeks ago. than your fear and your fatigue. Because if we sit back and do nothing, as Edmund Burke once said, then we're going to see the evil prevail. All that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good men and good women and Christians to do nothing. To do nothing. This is a time for prayer. And more than go, God bless me. That's fine. This is a time to say, God, give me the wisdom 
like the children of Issachar who knew the times and they also knew what to do. Now this title here is what to do when you don't know what to do. But I know that the men of Issachar went before the Lord. It doesn't say so in the text, but I know that they did because that's the only place wisdom can come from. They went before the Lord and said, Lord, in the times in which we live, what are we to do? God gave that tribe the wisdom. They spread it out. So let me start today by saying this. Number one, fear and depression strikes everyone. Everyone. The only difference is a matter of degrees. Some, it's very bad. That's why I do a daily broadcast. Panic attacks. Some, it's very bad. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I imagine if I did take a little survey here real quick, I imagine almost every single person in this place has now experienced at least one panic attack or a sense of anxiety. I know people who are so phlegmatic, so laid back, and in some cases so Pollyannish, like, hey, this is going to work out great, that are now experiencing anxiety on a palpable level. That means trips to the ER, trip to the doctors to get checked out. Why is the heart racing, hands sweating, and what have you? It strikes everyone. Fear and depression strikes everybody. It's just a matter of degrees. So we read in our text, it came to pass after this also, the children of Moab and Ammon and other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. And then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. Behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi, and Jehoshaphat feared. Kings are not supposed to fear, or so we think. But you know what? In real life, it don't work out that way. Kings are afraid, soldiers are afraid, leaders are afraid, because that's part of our human nature. It's just a question of who overcomes it or who succumbs to it. That's it. Everybody has it. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Jehoshaphat feared. Again, kings are not supposed to fear. Superheroes are not supposed to fear, but they do. The Greeks, I believe, came up with this. Maybe it's not unique to the Greeks. And they had a saying, know thyself. If you don't know your own proclivities to fear depression and other things, your temptations, where your weaknesses are, and you should know where your strengths are, your chances of staying firm in the Lord to the very end are not very good. Because you don't even know your own weakness. And some have tried to tell you, and you were not listening. Because you were insistent that you know better than those who are watching you. You never drove your car and just started to ease over into the left lane. Or wham, somebody lays on the horn. Because there is a blind spot. So many feet. It's not a lot. So many feet where the mirrors cannot pick up that vehicle. Now we have sensors. Some of you modern cars have sensors. They kind of alert you. I've done it. A blind spot. Know yourself. Strengths and weaknesses. Listen to what Sun Tzu said in his philosophical writings, now called The Art of War. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for us that would be Satan, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every single battle. Every battle. Know thyself. Now here, Sun Tzu says that we are to also know the enemy. Biblically speaking, we've got to know the wiles of the devil. One would be a house divided against itself cannot stand. 
Now, I just again, sometimes I don't like being honest. I mean, I like being honest. Sometimes I just say, oh, I don't want to say that. But you know what? We've had groups of people in my ministry 33 years here in this city that somehow thought they were going to have a coup. C-O-U-P. Yeah. They were going to take over the church because, after all, this is our church. And Pastor Ray said, no, you're not taking over the church. And it's not my church either. I'm here as an under-shepherd for his church. And I'll do whatever I have to do and have done it to protect those good people like yourself and others who have come here to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everybody suffers from a measure of fear and depression. No one's unique in this category. Everybody has a measure of suffering in their lives from fear, depression, and other things that are common. There is no temptation that has taken you, this is scripture, that is not common to man, some more than others. Let me say this again. We don't have time for people to be walking around feeling sorry for themselves. We've run out of time. We have run out of time. Every day we open up our papers and there's some protest going on someplace. People are getting killed over ideology, over politics, over it's not fair to me. And all of this predicted, by the way, in the scriptures. And we have run out of time. We cannot afford pity parties any longer. We've got to get on the ball and take a stand or put your butt in the sand. At least we know that you're not going anywhere because we're going to leave you behind. We've got to protect our children, our grandchildren, those that don't know the Lord. We don't have time to be doting over people. Now, you know me to be compassionate. If you don't, I've got 100 videos up there right now. You can watch them all. I sympathize and empathize with people who have issues and problems. I've had more than my share. At least that's how I look at it. But I'm not going around feeling sorry for myself. There is no time. We must take a stand. We must walk in faith. During the years of my youth, I should say my later teens, early 20s, I would take long walks frequently when I was depressed, when I had problems. I would take these long walks throughout Van Cortland Park. And it came back to me just the other day, and I would think and think. I didn't know Christ at the time. What's it all about? Just thinking, thinking, thinking. That was one of the things that God used in my life to bring me to him was these long walks. And what I'm trying to point out to you is that everybody has a measure of fear and depression and other things. It's common to humanity. If you're special in this category, it's only by degree. And again, I would encourage you to watch my daily broadcast of panic and depression. Mental health things are troubling you because that's why I put it out there. Assuage the situation to mitigate it and hopefully to make a, find a cure. But in the general picture of the militancy that is now in the air, we don't have time to be doting over people. Advice and prayer and laying on of hands, yes. But we've got to march forward. Because the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, you know my opinion of the media. I had never liked it. I had a woman one time when I was working in radiology, a very intelligent, wealthy woman. We got into a conversation there, and she was talking about the news. This is going back how many, 40 years ago? She was talking about the newspapers, and I told her, I said, I never read the newspaper. I forgot the word that she used to describe me, but it was something along the lines of, that's disgusting. I just shrugged my shoulders. Because you know, as far as I'm concerned, I only listen to people I actually trust. I trust my doctors, otherwise they wouldn't be my doctors. I really do. That doesn't mean everything they say is 100% accurate, but I trust them. That they're doing their best to give me an answer on my whatever it may be, from the common cold to heart disease. However, when it comes to the media, I think there's a general consensus, in the United States at least, that we don't trust you, and it's not changing. The Christian walks by faith, not by sight. Jehoshaphat knew this. Verse 4, and Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. 
in the intellectual community today, which is, by the way, a small portion of these group of people, they look at us and they laugh at us because science, and particularly mathematics, is going to solve all of our problems. And it says, even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Why is a king standing still, doing nothing, when there's a big army and there's a battle to fight and we're going to lose people, we're going to lose the men, we're going to lose the women, and we're going to lose the children. And you're standing there. Because he wasn't doing nothing. He was going to the only one that can really solve our problems. The creator of the heaven and the earth. And he stood there, as some of us do, here. And we stand before the Lord, and some of us do at home. We stand before the Lord, not walking by sight, but by faith. Seeking the help of the creator of heaven and earth. God help us, is what we say. The reformer Martin Luther said, faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, And receives the impossible. Then it accepts the impossible, does without the indispensable, and bears the intolerable. Eric Weinemeyer, well, a few years ago now, first person to climb to the summit of Mount Everest, to realize that only a little over 5,000 people have ever done it since Sir Edmund Hillary first did it in 1953. Over 200 people have died trying. But he's the first person to do it who is totally blind. I mean, absolutely, totally blind. Then he went on to climb the seven summits. And I like heroic stories, as I've told you before. Are you really going to pick up a book that says, I was born a loser, and I stayed that way? (laughs) A dolorous, self-indulgent tome on poor me. No, I like reading about people who aren't supposed to make it, and they make it anyway. I like reading about people who are faced with obstacles and they overcome them. But I want to tell you the truth. Because look at, first of all, the ministry is called the time for truth. Second of all, I'm running out of time in my own life. And I don't like listening to people who whine. I especially don't like to listen to men. Because I'm saying, in this generation, forgive me for those of you who are younger, especially the male population, we have somehow found ourselves with a bunch of yeah, it wasn't the word I was thinking of, but sissies, sissies will have to do. Basement dwelling, video game playing, leeches, whose mama says, supper time, and the guy's 40 years old. <laughs> hey, did you get my laundry done? And then these are the guys that attack me on social media like they're so erudite and so intellectual. And I always say that to them. Well, not always, but like some kind of, well, basement dwelling, like a spider. What happened to the male population? Chesty Puller was talking about this when he was still in service. That was before I was born. Stand up. The Bible says quit. The King James says quit. you like men. It means be a man. Is there really a standard? I just told you Wednesday. I filled out two forms in one week asking me, was I male, female, or undifferentiated? Or what was I born with? What was I declared when I was born? I was declared when I was born to be what I still am, a man. I can prove it. But I won't. You know, get out of here with your political correctness. You know, get out of here with your nonsense. This is intellectual nonsense. It's not even moral. I mean, it has nothing to do with morality. It's just intellectual gobbledygook. Dear God, help us. Christ 
rules over all nations, not just Amen. the church and unites people. He rules over all the nations. All power is given to me, he says, in heaven and on earth and over all flesh. We read in the Revelation, when he comes, he will rule the earth. He is God come in the flesh, second person of the Trinity. And he rules over all the nations. Verse 6, Jehoshaphat and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? Well, yeah, God's in heaven, but we got to do the work down here. But it says, And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen, not just Israel, Judah, but all the kingdoms. He rules over them all. When? Now. In the past. In the future. Our God rules and reigns right now over all nations. Nations that don't know him. Nations that don't acknowledge him. Nations that reject him. But he still rules. He still rules. And he says, And in thine hand, is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? See, this is why we need to go before the Lord. And say the same thing. When you move God, no one can stop it. I was sitting in a park yesterday preparing this message. As is my habit on a daily basis, I contemplate and meditate quite a bit. I don't mean chanting. I mean I'm thinking. I'm thinking through the scriptures all day long. I examine myself, by the way, when I do this more than I do anything else. Where am I at? Why am I thinking this? What's right? What's wrong? Lord, what do we do? And while I was meditating, I was in the park. Thinking, I'm just looking out and watching these children over here playing on a, like a jungle gym thing. Sliding pond and all that. And two younger mothers, and they had children, an infant. And I'm just watching these children play. And I said to myself, dear God, can a man like myself just sit back and do nothing? Can I sit back and do nothing? I don't care if my family rejects me. I mean, I care, but I don't care. I must do the right thing. If my grandchildren eventually reject me or don't want to associate with me because grandfather's that nutty preacher... And so be it, but I won't have anybody's blood on my hands. Because what God has said is going to happen, is going to happen. Amen. And we see it. And as I sat there, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this wind just came. It was still nice and warm and bright and sunny, but this wind was imposing. And I remembered John chapter 3. The wind blows where it wants. And you don't know where it's coming from. And you don't know where it's going to. So is everyone born of the Spirit. While meditating on this and my message... And watching the moms and the children playing and other people doing things, enjoying themselves, I thought about this country. I thought about America. I thought about the time that we live in. All of a sudden, the wind starts to blow. And the need for the power of the Holy Spirit to fill individuals, to fill people, to have people say, well, Lord, I understand what the cost is, and I understand what may become of me because of that, but here I am, Lord, send me. We're more apt to say, oh, here I am, Lord, send Pastor Ray. <laughs> well, Pastor Ray's already gone in many more ways than one. Here, my Lord, send me. Hannibal, perhaps one of the greatest generals that ever lived when he was going to attack Rome, comes to the Alps with his African elephants and his advisors tell him, General, there's no way we can get these elephants through the Alps. His response purportedly was this, Ot William in Wainiam or Fikim, I'll either find a way or I'll make a way. And he found a way and he came through the Alps and he put a devastating hurt on the Roman Empire. You see, some say it can't be done. These are elephants, you know. And he said, I'll either find a way or I will make a way. And you know what? Brought me to something else. How many people without Christ, just in the human spirit that God has given to us and the intelligence that far too many people are not using, in my opinion, has been able to overcome obstacles with determination. How much more could we do if we combine determination with the anointing of the Holy Spirit 
and got our butt out of the sand and even kick it like this, say, I don't want that mark. I don't want that print. I want to have footprints in the sand walking with the Lord as my legacy. If Hannibal can get his elephants through the Alps to attack Rome and win, we, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, can be a part however small or however large, of a third great awakening in America. There is no reason, there is none whatsoever, that God couldn't choose this little city sitting in the foothills of the Adirondacks to say, all right, let the work start right there. Although my conviction is that he's doing this around the world in places that we haven't heard of. Because that's usually God's way. All of a sudden, preachers come out of, you don't know even know where they came from. Who they are. Where did they get this wisdom? Where did they get this anointing? Where all the big shots are pushed out of the spotlight into the dark because they are totally irrelevant. And worse than that, they're leading people astray. But to come out from among them and to say that God can and God will, I will either find a way or I will make a way, but I'm going to attack Rome and win. And he did. That's Hannibal. Ot weim in weinim ot vikim. Fourth, remember God's past intervention or interventions in the past with other people like Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah or even in your own life. How many times I've got to remind myself how many times God has come through for me and came through for me with you. We're sitting in the building after I resigned the position on the spot. I've never quit any job ever on the spot, but sometimes enough is just enough. And you've got to do what you're supposed to do, not only what you've got to do, Got to do what you're supposed to do. And here we are, 15 years later. Nobody even thought, well, I say nobody. Many people thought they would never pay off the mortgage. Been paid. Been paid for a long, long time. But we have to remember God's intervention, singular. And we have to remember God's interventions, plural, in our own lives and in the history of God's people. Art not thou our God? Who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land, centuries before that, Before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever. And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name. So you have to remember how God has intervened in history past. And he will intervene again. But again, using music and stretchy time. Metronomic speed is not always, it's not always kept by musicians. I've listened to professional musicians in recordings and kept the beat with my foot. And you can see where they're a little behind, a little over. Because music works on stretchy time. There are some exceptions to that, but not too many. And God, be merciful to us again. Stretch out the time just a bit more. And pour out your spirit on those who are willing to receive it. But don't you think that the Holy Spirit is given to you so you can become the form of entertainment in the local church. God has given you the Holy Spirit just the way we equip soldiers for war, for battle. And you may get wounded. And you may watch others get wounded or killed in action. But we must go forward with the mission. Fifth, recite and recall the principles of God and the promises of God. The things that he said he would do. Jehoshaphat went on to pray, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. That's the prayer that Solomon petitioned God when he built the temple. That's what this is all about. That's where Jehoshaphat's at. In the temple built by Solomon, this was his prayer. If, when, sword, famine, pestilence, and so forth comes, and we make petition, then God came and reiterated that. He says, okay, I will. But the condition is that you do what I tell you to do. 
You keep my laws, principles. You remember my promises and the conditions of them. So listen, let me say to you, if you don't want to meet the conditions, do not expect the promise to come to pass. And the main promise, the main principle rather, is believing God and not letting go. We all have a tendency to waver a little bit. That's human nature. Don't get upset about that. But we must say, no, 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 I have asked. And by faith I receive. And now this prayer has got to go beyond our family and our friends. It's got to go on to the world and to the nations. And God, save us. Spare us. Help us, God. God will hear. God's eyes are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. Which is not advocating crying all day long. I cry, just not a lot. I have a little thing between God and I that I'm not going to mention, but but just a little thing between God and I. And I said to you some weeks ago, when I read to you the code of the Navy SEALs, that we need to have a code. I've already written it in my own mind. I'll eventually put it on paper. Don't rush me. But I keep reminding myself, when I'm tired, when I'm fatigued, when I don't want to do this anymore. Did you realize that I said this to my wife before I put this message on paper? I really wish today I was just like everybody else. I did. I'm watching people in their boat. There's a fishing. Everybody's having a good time. When we're past the race, doing the same thing 44 years later, just taking notes, anguishing over what is the right thing to say, what am I supposed to do, what's the message. This is how it is. I have the same, not only temptations you do, I have the same desires you do. I'm sitting next to a little barbecue grill there, and I wish that there was all kinds of people around me, friends, family, and we're cooking out and just having a good time and not a care in the world. Meanwhile, the armies of Satan are marching on us, marching on us. I'm not saying don't have a picnic. I'm just saying that your pastor agonizes over what I've got to say, what I've got to do, the man that I know that I'm called to be, but I don't always want to do it. But God help me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. God help me. I'm going to do it. You'll not find my butt in the sand. One of my broadcasts, if you watched, I went through a couple of days on this theme, Life is Not Fair. And again, I don't mean to berate or belittle some of these people we have in society, some of the younger people. It's not even younger people. It's people my age, constantly crying, moaning. I'm personally sick of it. Now, that doesn't mean if you come into my office, I'm not going to be empathetic and sympathetic. But I'm not going to sit there every week, which I don't do weekly counseling. I mean, ongoing counseling like that anymore anyway. And here you tell me every week the same story. Oh, tough life. You guess what? There's a lot of us here that has had a tough life. And so you either overcome it or you don't. And that's that. For me, I'm not going to sit back and get beat up. I don't think so. The bully in the schoolyard. Every day would come and punch me in the stomach. Every day he'd come in first thing. He'd look for me, find me in the schoolyard. Whap! In the stomach. Big guy. One day I made up my mind as I'm going to school. It was really, that day was more of a march. That he has hit me in the stomach for the last time. I'll never forget because I had a watch. And he came and he says, yeah, he said something. I said, you know what? You're not going to hit me today. I started taking my watch off. This is a sign of a bad dude who takes his watch off. <laughs> my friend Anthony, I remember him. His name was Anthony. I said, hold this. He said, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. It's like Hannibal's uh, counselors. Don't do it. Hold it. I don't know how many times I hit him, but it had to be at least in the thousands. Boogers coming out of his nose. Whap, whap, whap. And you know what? Not once did he ever come up and hit me in the stomach again or attempt to do so. I'm not advocating violence. I'm not saying go out and punch people. Just telling you a story about bullies. 
Neighborhoods I grew up in were not easy to live in. They were rough. Check it out. I'll give you the address. You can look it up now and see what it's like. You have two choices. The bully comes and says, give me your money. Okay. And you make payments to a bully. He just wants your, your lunch money, whatever. But you say, you want it? Yeah, go and take it. Take it. Go ahead. What? Put your watch back on. Say, hey, let's go for lunch. I'm treating. <laughs> And now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom now wouldest not let Israel invade when they come out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them. Not behold, I say, how they reward us to come and cast us out of thy possession, which thou gavest to inherit. Just want to simply say this. This is the sixth point. Life is not fair. Get used to it. And I know many of you have had a rough life. I'm not diminishing that. You know I wouldn't do that. I'm just simply saying we can't complain about it. Conquer. Or be conquered. It's the only two choices you got. For me, I will not be conquered. Not by heart disease. Not by bullies. Not by atheists. Not by preachers who are compromised. Preachers who are goofs. I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to do what Jesus commanded us to do in the revelation. Overcome. Overcome. And I advise you to do the same. The righteous God will avenge our cause. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? Quickly, let me say this. Number eight, the strongest saints that we read about throughout history, and in the Bible in particular, have had their moments where they had no strength. Read about the Apostle Paul. He talks about a time when he was out of strength. All of them were out of strength beyond their own measure of strength. But we have a way of not even seeing that. And picturing the Apostle Paul, because we see paintings, you know, with the nimbus around his head, he's always victorious. How are we not reading the text? That the greatest heroes, in, I'm sticking with the Bible now, in the Bible were often some of the weakest people. Were often some of the people that were least likely to overcome. But they overcame, and they overcome as we do now by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, by a refusal to say, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. If anything, I'm taking a step forward. I'm taking two steps forward, and so on. The strongest saints of God, you have to know, have had their own moments at least, but they had no might, they had no strength, did not think they could go on. But God has a way of lengthening that rope you say you're at the end of. So you put your hand down, you know there's nothing there, and there's something there. Well, your eyes just saw, there's nothing there, and you're slipping, and there's something there, and there. Because God cannot lie. God will keep you. God will save you. In the next world, sure. But here in this world, God cannot fail. And God cannot lie. And if the strongest heroes of the Bible have had their moments, are we to say that we are better than them? We are now in that period of history. But listen to the words of Isaiah. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? Now the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainted not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. Feel faint today? You can raise your hand on this one. How many of you have never had a moment of weakness? So I want to know you. I really do. Because you have something wrong with your brain. We all do. If you have no might today, you are a great candidate for God to look at you and say, you want some might? You want some strength? But if you've got your butt in the sand, he may just pass you by. And look, I've been so low. Sometimes it begs the description how low I've been. And that's not years ago either, lately. 
so low, but I won't let go of the hem of his garment. I won't let go of what I know to be true. God cannot fail. Nor will I go around. What if I did this? I wonder how long you'd come back to this location. If every time I got in the pulpit, I told you all these sob stories about my life. How bad it is. You think you got it bad? Let me tell you how bad I got it. A, I'm disqualified as leader. B, you would go someplace else, any place else. God gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And once again, you either believe it or you don't. And I'm saying this with the utmost respect and the utmost courtesy and trusting that you already know me by now where my heart is at. But please, men, don't whine. Stop it. This is not the time for that. This is the time to rise up and say, God, fill me. I'm ready for the battle, or at least willing, and God will. I finish with this. The wisest of saints in the Bible and outside in history often did not know what to do. That's the theme of this message. What to do when you don't know what to do. And I've given it to you. This is what you do. Because he says, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. You have a dog. He's loyal. She's loyal. Dogs are great. Most dogs. And my dog, buddy, I'm telling you, his eyes are always looking at me. If he barks at somebody, and I keep telling him, stop, quiet. He'll still look at me for approval and come over to me for a pet. If I move in my bed, which at night I'm a restless sleeper, I hear his feet. And basically he's saying, everything okay? We marching? You got somebody you want me to attack? I said, go lay down. And he doesn't lay down. He falls down. Kaboom. I've never seen a dog do that. This guy's weighed probably 100 pounds now. He doesn't lay down. He just, Boom. So I wake him up, he wakes me up, that's the relationship we have. But his eyes are always on me because I am the master, and he knows it. You better realize if you don't know that God is the master. And you would be wise to know it. So that you put your eyes on him. Get them off this vote, but get them off these characters. I can't even talk about it anymore. No, I really can't. It upsets my stomach. My eyes are there. I look to the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. George Patton, no doubt one of America's greatest generals. Certainly not the kind of guy that would be amenable to the statement of some soldier saying, we're all winners, George. (laughs) Don't we get a consolation prize? And it was many men, and still are, that are not amenable to that expression. What do you mean we're all winners? Winners win. He said, know what you know and know what you don't know. That's wise. As I study and read books on so many subjects, the more I read, you know what I realize? How much I don't know. Wow. I know a lot less than I thought I knew. Reading the Bible and all of this. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You have to review what I've told you today. And you have to do it. Father, we come before you this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Perilous times have come upon us. In just a few weeks, we face an uncertain future in America. Uncertain in our minds, not in yours. 
but you instruct us to pray unto you. You tell us what to do. You tell preachers what they're supposed to do, and you tell the average Christian in their gifts and talents what they're supposed to do, and then we see your hand move. And God, even if it's only to the degree that you protect us as individuals, which would be sad, at least we know we can say, as the hymnist wrote, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. God, pour out your spirit, and not just on this little branch here at Time for Truth Ministries, but everywhere there are pastors preaching. I know how many of these people have burnt out. Some of them just recently, people I've known, someone who I was just dealing with last year and the year before, gone, gone from ministry, gone from ministry, because the stress and the weight of it is so heavy. Oh God, pour out your spirit on the preachers that are truly preaching. Pour out your spirit on the prayer warriors. Pour out your spirit on the soul winners. Pour out your spirit on those who are saying, Hear my Lord, send me, who actually know the cost of the battle. Oh God, pour out your spirit. On this election coming up, God, give us, as we heard earlier, the government that we don't deserve. Through your mercy, don't give us the government we do deserve. Give us righteousness in this land again. Move by your spirit, God, so that none can withstand your hand. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. We put our hope and trust in you, almighty God. Help us here in America and around the world. Help us. And we give you all the praise. Give you all the glory. Give you all the honor. I don't want your hands raised or anything like that. Just in your heart. In your heart. You're saying, okay, Lord, I'm willing. And I know that a lot of you, I know your stories. I know what's going on in your lives are having a very, very difficult time of it right now. I know that. But in your heart, if you're saying, I don't care. I'm willing to stand. I'm willing to get up. I'm willing to rise. I'm willing to get in this fight or stay in this fight. I'm praying for you. Father, anoint those who are intrepid individuals who don't give up. We get set back. We get pushed back. We get knocked down. We get wounded, but we don't quit. God, once again, fill your people with the power of your spirit. Lord, as always, this week, remind us to love you with everything we have. All the heart, soul, mind, and strength. Remind us to love one another. And I ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.